You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Welcome back to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. I am your co-host, Rebecca Gwilt, co-founder and partner here at Nixon Gwilt Law, where we help digital health companies navigate law and policy to build great businesses. Today, I'm delighted to share the pod with Pablo Pantaleone, Chief Digital Officer at LifeStance Health, which is a behavioral health company focused on providing medically driven, evidence-based treatment services for people suffering from a variety of mental health issues. Pablo also leads the, leads the Stanford Biodesign Next program at Stanford. Um, I know a couple of companies in the cohort, actually. Uh, and before joining LifeStance, Pablo was the Vice President of Global Strategy and New Ventures at Headspace a serial entrepreneur, and an economist, actually, specializing in international markets for banks and brokerage firms. He's He's been around the block, folks. Welcome to the podcast, Pablo. Thank you so much, Rebecca. You know, very excited to be here. Yeah, so I was reading your background, and it looks like we have two points of crossover that I just wanted to shout out. The first is um, Russell Glass is a friend of my partner, Carrie Nixon, and mine and a friend of the pod, and as you may know, um, used to run Ginger before it became part of Headspace Health. So uh, I'm sure you have met him in, in the mix at some point. Well, I heard great things about him. We didn't overlap at Headspace since the, mar- the merger happened, you know, after I left. But yeah, definitely, I think we met a couple times and you know, I heard great things about him from my yeah. Folks. Yeah, I was really excited to see those companies come together and to see the evolution of Headspace. And, you know, in terms of strategy and new ventures, there has been such success there. And then the other is from the Wayback Machine. <clears throat> I started my career at CMS uh, back in 2000, and, my legal career back in 2000, and, I want to say 11, 2010, 2011. And we worked with IDEO on the Use the UX user interface for the health insurance exchanges way back, way back when. Yeah, no, look, IDEO was, you know, a dream. Working at IDEO, learned so much. There's so much talent there and having, you know, such a great exposure to everything what's going on, right, in the healthcare industry, but also in other industries and how everything kind of connects. I, I always joke and I said, you know, I did my MBA there. And my, you know, my, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. I imagine building a sort of consumer facing uh, digital health company, you know, looking at, looking at that through the lens of such a consumer focused organization must have certainly given you a leg up. So, all right. So you started your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey right after university uh, with a startup aimed at helping international students in Europe finding uh, accommodation, internships, language courses. And that company is now part of Grupo Avanzia. You obviously have some innovation in your blood. I'm curious about your journey from um, you know, such an early success to where you are now and how you evolved into um, entering the behavioral health space. Yeah. Um, well, look, if I'm honest, I was not definitely thinking about, you know, let's start a, a new company, you know, in the education space. But when I moved to Switzerland, I experienced myself, you know, how hard it was to find the right place to live, you know, and and look for internships back there. And so many of my friends were struggling with, uh, you know, with, uh, with the same problem. So 
since there were not many solutions out there together with a you know kind of good friend we said maybe we can do something here and again it started very small just to help you know kind of the local community um, in Spain that wanted to move to Switzerland and then it just started growing you know almost out of control meaning uh, we ended up being in 42 cities in you know 14 countries in, in Europe and, and really helping people to navigate you know, what this means, right? Moving to a new city, place to live, you know, mainly for, you know, college students as well as, you know, people um, also earlier in their professional careers, like, and yeah, it was, I learned so much. I made so many mistakes, uh, but definitely it was a great experience. And at some point the housing, you know, kind of component was the biggest one. Um, And one of the, you know, larger companies out there in Spain kind of, you know, made a made a good offer, and I, I, you know, we just decided that it was the right, you know, right time and the right decision, you know. To, to yeah, try. I mean, I think I think that's the sort of magic that happens when you find a real problem, right? When you're solving a problem, it becomes easy like that. Is what I've heard. Yeah, you know? no, I, it's funny. Right? And again, at Stanford, that's that's what what I teach, right? And it's it's not about hey. You know, I want to start a new company and let's start brainstorming. Of course, you can do that, right? But you, let's make sure there is a real problem. You know, let's go through all the different workflows. Let's talk to people. Let's really understand what are the true unmet needs, right? The true pain points. And then let's let's start from there. So, how did you? So, so bring me from apartments to mental health care. Well, <laughs> it's a great question. I'll try to do this quick, but. Um, Look, I come from a family of, you know, clinicians. So even I'm not a, you know, kind of a clinician myself, uh, there's there's always, you know, kind of this in my DNA. So after a party, man, I went to the, you know, finance industry. Funny enough, I'm, I'm good with numbers, but, you know, it was not very appealing to me. So right when I was there, this good friend, um you know, approached me and said, hey, you know, my father owns a small outpatient kind of clinic and, you know, he's struggling with his software and I just came up, you know, with a small solution out there. So I started helping him and, you know, I, we were not looking to build that, you know, business out of that small, you know, kind of solution. But as we started, you know, again, proving the solution, hearing from other people who also wanted, you know, the software and, we we end up you know building another startup and you know moving the company that was back in Europe moving the company to the U.S. and then from there well at some point you know the company scaled but I think it was it was time to move on since you know we had too many operations in Europe and in the U.S. and there was kind of this you know decision should we double down in Europe or focus in the U.S. you can imagine on what sure. what side I was in you know and. <laughs> Sadly, the company decided to double down in, in Europe, but it was, I totally understand, you know, at the time that maybe it was the right decision. So sure. from there, I was happy, you know, I was fortunate enough to know some people at IDEO and, and out of nowhere, you know, they just offered me an incredible job and to lead the digital health business there. And then later the whole, you know, healthcare portfolio, I learned so much. It was a dream come true, as I said. And then there was a common thread across all the projects that I do. Even if we were working on 
let's call it cardiovascular space, you know, or even, you know, pure wellness kind of project, all the way to other chronic conditions, you name it, right? Oncology or, you know, respiratory conditions. There was always a mental health component, always, right? Absolutely. And, and that's, that's what I learned. And when you have the privilege of seeing, you know, so many different projects, you know, and start connecting the dots, that's when, you know, um, I was fortunate enough that Headspace kind of, you know, reached out and, and shared with me that they were, you know, initially more in the wellness space, but they wanted to move more into the healthcare space. And then, you know, I joined Headspace to help them with, with the move. Also started the digital therapeutic subsidiary um, and leading the strategy group there. I, again, I, I learned a lot. It was a, an awesome journey. But as you know, right, many digital companies, you know, entering the healthcare space, it's always, you need to work very closely, not just with, you know, consumers, patients, right, but also with clinicians and mapping their workflows and understanding, you know, what kind of the real needs and making sure that this is not an extra thing that they need to do. And again, also very, very fortunate, you know, when I was at Headspace and, you know, there were, I was not actively kind of looking, but when I learned about life stands, it was kind of this, it was a perfect match. It was exactly, you know, what I was looking for. I met with, a, you know, kind of a, the founding team and, and it was the perfect match at the time. So I joined LifeStance three years ago, right after COVID. And, and it was, it's been so far, you know, kind of a, an awesome journey. Again, the way how LifeStance is positioned, right? And with our hybrid model, right? And and it's so close to my heart and the mission of the company, right? Improving access, you know, to affordable mental health. Fortunately, right, there, you know, some people, you know, in my family, they're struggling with mental health conditions. And, and I can see that, that everybody's aligned, you know, the mission to, to help, you know, and people struggling with, especially, again, there, so, there's lack of access out there, right? And mostly it's cash pay. So, what the founding team at LifeStance did, it's it's phenomenal. And and I do think I could I could offer, you know, some of my experience with technology and to come up with, you know, all these new tools and help with, you know, kind of making sure that whatever we do, right, we give people option with our hybrid model to, you know, you can engage in person or you can, you know, go and through a virtual session, you know, and use, you know, some of our virtual tools, but always with the, you know, goal of, meeting people where they are, right? And that's that's kind of the beauty of our model. Yeah, well, the two things that, that uh, occur to me, one is um, I, I love to explore the journey of entrepreneurs because they only make sense looking backwards. Uh, you know, I haven't met anyone that said, okay, well, you know, in 20 years, I knew I'd be here. So I did X, Y, and Z to get me here. It's always a wonderful combination of, of disparate experiences and happenstance and, uh, you know, bad things that happen and good things that happen. Um, and all of that culminates in, in sort of the richness of experience. So I'd love to hear that story. And the second is something you touched on, which is access. <clears throat> you know, during the pandemic, technology made it possible for lots more patients to access care. We have many more options, many, you know, more mature options out now. But, you know, uh, I haven't heard the um, I haven't heard that there's been a, a significant change in access to mental health care. It's always been the barrier, not enough people, um, not enough reimbursement, 
you know, not enough culturally competent care. I mean, uh, mental health access, as you said, is um, is vital to every other kind of physical health system that we have. If you're depressed, you're not taking your medications. If you're depressed, you don't heal as quickly. If you're depressed, you're eating less healthy, right? It affects sort of our whole, um, you know, bodily ecosystem. So you talked a little bit about how you're addressing that access problem. I'd love to hear you sort of talk about it a little bit more. And in particular, um, any special considerations when it comes to pediatrics? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the way how we approach it is going back to the human-centered design process and truly understanding the admin needs. We've, you know, When I started, we, we launched this project, this discovery project, to really map the whole experience end-to-end for both patients, clinicians, as well as team members. We, and we spoke with hundreds of patients, really hundreds, and, and you know, also surveyed you know, more, even more patients on top of all of this one-on-one interviews. And trying to understand where are the barriers of access. Of course, you know, some are related to reimbursement, right? Some others are related to, you know, the channel. There are people that want to see people in person. Others, they want to go virtual. Uh, but some others are, you know, the tools. Meaning, um, for example, for some people that struggle with anxiety, it's very hard for them to pick the phone and call. Right? Yeah. And to, you know, talk to somebody, point them. So this is why one of the things we've done, it's build this online booking and intake experience, OB, and to help people find the right clinician and go through the whole process online, you know, in their own terms and the right, you know, their the right time. Yeah, I, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting point. I think when we think about access, we often think even now. I mean, I work in technology 100 percent of the time. I mean, I, I often think can't get to the office, right? Can't can't you know? And from a technology perspective, I guess that could be broadband. But we all often think of sort of barrier external barriers to access. But what you're talking about is quite important. Like what what can the um, perceived safety of an online environment um, or perceived pressure, like lower pressure of an online environment, how can that help with adherence to mental health care and the, and the internal barrier to sort of seeking that help? Exactly. Exactly. And this is going back to understand, you know, where are the, the two, you know, kind of gaps there and just co-designing solutions with, with patients, clinicians, that that's what we do because at the end of the day, right, if, if you don't do it, you know, with them. When I, yeah, going back through my journey and it's so many mistakes early on in my career, making a bunch of assumptions, doesn't work. And you definitely need to do it together, right? With potential users and also with going out there and, you know, looking at other industries. So one, you know, fun story is when we were looking at, when we mapped the whole journey, we understood that, you know, Finding the right match between a patient and a clinician, it's a, it's a key moment, right? There, unfortunately, we also heard of, there are some patients out there. They just go through the first experience. They are not satisfied with the right matching. And this goes both ways, right? It's a matching right. with a clinician. But some patients, you know, they go back and they're afraid of going again through that same, you know, journey. And, you know, they don't they don't seek care. So, it's, it's a real problem. So this is why we, we definitely need to do a good job matching the right patient with the right clinicians. And, you know, somebody on my team said, 
we've tried all the solutions out there. You know, they're all pretty similar. They have great things and they have, you know, also some gaps. Why we don't, you know, look at dating sites, for example, right? And see how this works. And, you know, because again, when you're matching, it's not just matching based on, of course, things that are important based on the experience, right? Based yeah. on the, the, you know, the, your needs, based on insurance, based on location, but also there needs to be some kind of connection, you know, between the clinician and the patient in the behavioral health space. Yeah, that's really interesting to look at sort of what the dating applications have learned over time. So is this where some of the, the AI that you're building into the product comes in? Is that is that part of what helps with the matching or is that used for, um, you know, more clinical purposes? Like in what way are you leveraging sort of the massive explosion in our ability to use AI to, to build a better product? Yeah, I mean, look, I've been working, you know, and with, you know, kind of AI, you know, di- different kinds of use cases for years now, right? And and I do think and people are always thinking about all the shiny, you know, ways where AI can help. And there are, you know, definitely opportunities out there. But I'm going to be very honest with you, you know, AI, you know, and other technologies to help automate some of the internal processes, right? Those are the most effective ones up front. Meaning, you know, one the perfect example is we want to empower clinicians to really spend as much time as possible with patients. So, you know, helping with all this admin tasks, right? Documentation, there there is a big opportunity there, right? With with AI tools. That's just one example. But there, there are many, many different other, you know, areas where, where AI can can help. Yeah, we, we um, you know, I know we've talked a lot about solutions that sort of impact patient care and the importance of sort of being patient centric. But you mentioned something earlier about, you know, helping clinicians make sure that you're sort of helping them. And I know there's a growing set of innovators that are trying to address clinician. I mean, not just innovators. I mean, it's everybody in healthcare. It's 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 been a real problem ever since COVID and probably beforehand, but trying to reduce clinician burn, burnout and, um, you know, really empower the healthcare workforce. How do you think about designing with those providers in mind? Yeah. Um, we always ask providers very openly, right? And everybody on my team, you know, designers and you know, engineers, we try to work as close as we can with, with clinicians and team members. So we ask them. We also have the ability, ability with some tools, right, to identify what are the pain points. And then we just say, we we go both ways. So some of them, they said, hey, you know, I've seen this tool and, you know, and, and I want to try it. Can we do a kind of a quick pilot? And I'm like, okay, let's talk about this, right? Or also, you know, we, you know, my team identifies kind of a, you know, solution out there, or we think that we should build something in-house, right, to, to you know, solve some of these gaps. And I'm a huge fan of, you know, coming up with a quick prototype, quick solution, pilot it, and then let's see what works and what doesn't. You know, and I think again, that's the only way you know that that works, at least for me. Right? Yeah, I, you know what I was <clears throat> seeing happen during the like absolute um, avalanche of new digital health companies that came on the market in you know 2020, 2021 was a speed of development and sale of product that I think we're seeing more 
a, a you know, a, a better balance of now, um, just sort of, you know, you build a basic app and an interface and you start, you start selling to, to patients. And that was what you had to do at the time, right. To grab the investment and move forward. And, um, you know, I think, I think, again, I think we're, we're in a period of reset now where it's, it's actually okay and expected to, to iterate on these products, to really spend the time, before you roll this out in a meaningful way, not only talking to patients, but um, talking to providers, making sure that it's actually solving a problem that exists, that is, that it is, uh, you know, to your point, you know, in, in mental health in particular, one bad experience can take it off the table for someone, which would be, you know, real, a real shame. So, um, so I think, I think your advice about being humble, asking the questions, challenging your assumptions, all with the goal of, um, you know, partnering with clinicians to, to bring better care to patients really, you know, it really resonates with me. Yeah. Anything else you would say to the next crop of digital health leaders that are trying to do the same thing, um, you know, designing with both patients and clinicians in mind? Yeah. Thank you for asking me this question. I do think that you know, like you said, we're a different time now, right? And, and, you know, definitely you have to balance, right? When something is working, of course, you know, there is the opportunity to roll it out, you know, very aggressively when we're talking about technology. But at the same time, in the, you know, in the healthcare industry, specifically mental health, we have to be extremely careful, right? And one of the things that I've seen over and over and over is people really look at, you know, on the consumer side of things, which is extremely important, but you also need to understand the other side, right? What this means for, you know, payers eventually, for team members, and especially clinicians. And clinicians, all they want is spend as much time as possible with patients and, and helping those patients. So even if you're told it's awesome, it's one more thing, right? So it needs to be, you know, completely integrated into their workflows, right? And, you know, they're bombarded, you know, with so many opportunities, so many, you know, different things. So you have to be extremely mindful on how you position your solution, right? Yeah. Making sure that it's not one more thing to do. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I'm what I, you know, I'm not sure how well it, it is known outside of, you know, folks that live in healthcare every day, but, but in addition to being, to there not being enough providers to provide the mental health care, and those providers doing as much as they can and still burning out. They have some of the lowest margins of any healthcare providers out there. The reimbursement for this type of service, while it is vital to so much of our, um, you know, health and wealth, uh, is just not reimbursed in a way that I think reflects the value. So that's another hurdle, right? So, so I'm I'm actually grateful. So many companies are targeting mental health services because those customers don't have the biggest budgets to buy things, right? It's, it's a much better bet to, to go to cardiologists and uh, uh, you know, cancer physicians. But, uh, but I, I'm really excited about what you're doing. I really appreciate your time and your talent today. If folks want to hear more of these kinds of insights, or they're interested in exploring a business relationship with life stance, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Sure. And you can find me on LinkedIn or just shoot me an email at pablo.lifestance.com. Short and sweet. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the on the pod today, Pablo. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you so much for listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. I'm Rebecca Gwilt of Nixon Gwilt Law, and I hope you enjoyed today's discussion on AI's role for clinicians and patients in behavioral health with LifeStance Health Chief Digital Officer Pablo Pantaleone. If you'd like today's episode, you'll want to do a couple more things. First, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Decoding Healthcare Innovation and give us a five-star review in your podcast app of choice. Uh, This helps other innovators find our show. And second, you'll want to check out the show notes to find some related episodes, including one with behavioral health startup advice from Headspace CEO Russ Glass, one on practical applications of AI in healthcare, and a couple on entering the U.S. market, um, U.S. healthcare market from Europe. You can find the show notes for every episode along with transcripts at nixonguiltlaw.com slash DHI dash podcast. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Carrie, me, or Nixon Gwilt Law, go to nixongwiltlaw.com or click the links in the show notes.